Hey, you're listening to The Photography Show. This is episode number 12 for November 14th, 2010. A little bit of preparation. I think everyone who has, um, who shoots at all, aspires to be even more, no matter what that is. You know what I'm saying? Even if it's not I'm already recording, and that was a great quote. Thank you. I am wearing like a beret and an eye patch, and a pi- I have a pipe. Thanks and- for listening. We'll see you next week on the <laughs> I'm going to make up random quotes. So, no, um, I just think that you know, even if you don't want to go professional and be paid to do it, you aspire to become better and greater and uh, whatever in photography you want to, you, you know. So, whether you're shooting on location or a studio or whatever, those are things you might aspire to do, even if, if you're not going to be paid to right. do it. Not me, dude. I like to suck. <laughs> and then some people just want to suck <laughs> like Ted and I think you already have a title well yeah, some people just want to suck that's funny All right, don't we're... put that once again the, the van thing yeah, yeah whole that van river stuff yeah well yeah we were gonna we were thinking of topics for today and uh, location came up and before I started recording we were we were saying that this is a good topic because it applies to you know anybody we have a wide variety of people in our audience and uh, you know whether or not you want to be a professional I think everybody deals with location and I think that's an interesting topic because I think sometimes like you know, when you're starting out, and I kind of equate, and I'm not bashing Flickr here, but, you know, when, you, when you're starting out and you kind of get into the Flickr groups and stuff, like we got in the Dallas group, and, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, let's go do a meetup, and everybody just heads out and shoots whatever, mm-hmm. which is fine, but, I mean, I, I know some photographers that have a hard time just getting past that, and sometimes it's like, okay, you know, for me, it helps, like, I mean, there's. I've equated this in the other podcasts they do, kind of to like jazz improvisation. There's improvisational photography where, yeah, you're just going to go out and take some pictures and goof around, and I think that's right. very healthy and very good. But then there's also like you know your planned compositional photography that I think is important too. Sure. And I, I thought I thought this was a good topic because you know you do really good location, outdoor architectural stuff. And, uh, you know, do you know Keith Wood? Sarah used to hire him to do I, Dallas. I just Anthony. heard a lot about him. Yeah. he. Uh, I, I may he, have met him once. He's another dude. He lives in um, in Portland, Oregon, and he is the master of – I mean, he'll go do shoots for ExxonMobil, and they need – Oh, uh, I know, know why I met him because I think we did a uh, an annual report with him once. Mm-hmm. He shoots a lot of that. Yes, right? he does. Yeah. He does a lot of annual reports. But, yeah, and, and you know, you're shooting an oil rig. Right. And you don't just go out and do it. And in fact, he told me one time that's one of the hardest things when he's working with clients is that they don't understand that it's a lot of hurry up and wait. You have to go out and wait for the lighting conditions to be right. And, you know, sometimes he doesn't have the luxury of location scouting. Um, he just knows the location and he gets there and you just got to make it happen. And right. it can take a long time while you're waiting for the sun to be in the right spot or not to glare or, you know, whatever. I mean, do you normally do, do – you do, you do location scouts when you shoot? Sure. I mean, anything that I can plan in advance, I will because the more planning that you can do ahead of time, uh, you know, to me, the, the better everything will turn out. It's like, uh, it's like doing a speech kind of. Um, uh, Wayne, it usually goes really bad. Uh, <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> like this podcast. Like this podcast. Winging it, no good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's why we have two listeners. But, um, <laughs> they both like it, though. Um, anyway, no, but if you have everything planned out before a shoot, it usually tends to go better. Uh, and, and so if, whether I have a, a, 
a shoot that's on location somewhere outdoors or we're doing something in a studio or whatever, I try to plan out um, what I'm going to do because you usually only have an, a, an allotted amount of time, like an hour or even if it's four hours or eight. I had an eight-hour shoot the other day, but we were going to shoot um, a ton of product during that day. We were going to shoot as absolutely as much as we could. So I broke it down hour by hour and have schedule for that whole time. And um, I did that when I'm on location too. said, okay, if I only have two hours and in this first 30 minutes, we're going to do these kind of shots here. Then we're going to do these kind of shots here and you know, so on and so forth. Was your product um, stuff outside? No, the product stuff we actually did in a, in a studio. Oh, okay. So um, it was location. Yeah, we can, we can talk about that later about sure. you know, what a studio is kind of needed for. But a lot of um, you know, location shooting or just outdoor shooting, um, when you, especially when you first get started, you're going to do a lot of that because, one, it's free. Um, two, when you're shooting people, you can, you can use different locations outdoors a lot. Right. Um, and, and, and they're free most of the time. Sometimes you have to get a permit from the city or something if you have a little crew or whatever. But if it's just you and maybe one other person as an assistant or, and, you know, and you're just shooting a family or an individual, a model or something, then you usually don't have to get a permit. And you can shoot in most places in the city. So, um, you ever, have you ever, um, you ever been down to my neighborhood on a Sunday? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's deep, like deep ellum. Yeah, it's like wedding and senior portraits central down here. Yeah, I think that's because in Dallas there aren't very many places that are like Deep Ellum as far as color. And you know, I think we, I think yeah, people love true. color in their photographs. And uh, where Deep Ellum, where Ted lives, is kind of an older part of town with kind of eclectic buildings that were, you know, some of the original buildings in Dallas and that kind of thing. And and they're and they've been graffitied now, or they're painted bright colors. Um, it's just an artistic area. Yeah, it, it's say. it's old buildings. There was a big music scene down here at one point. There's old, but you know, there's nothing, warehouses. Well, I always look at that. I'm like, well, nothing says love like torn down buildings. Mm-hmm. But I think, well, yeah, I think people like the, you know, and that may some, be something that's a fad right now. <laughs> may burn out later, <laughs> but well, yeah, possibly. Yeah, but um, it is to shoot beauty against something that's very. That you know, I know I'm being an ass, but yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. So it's to shoot a bride in like you know a junked out um, parking lot or something is kind of cool. It enhances her beauty so yeah. much more. And that's, so I think that's why so many people shoot down there. But that's one thing we can talk about is um, sure. Is the are the all the different kinds of locations that you you can choose to shoot in when you have a shoot, and that you may want to uh, talk about with uh, the family or the model or whatever beforehand, whoever you're taking the picture for, if you're doing like a portrait, is to ask them. Uh, you know, wh- first of all, what kind of what kind of shoot? What are you looking for? Because if you don't ask them, and then all of a sudden you say, "Well, meet me here," and they say that's fine, and you get there, and they're like, "Oh, I wasn't thinking this at all. Yeah. I was thinking cornfield." Or you get there and there's a fence in the way or and you know, I something said, you yeah. didn't think about. Said, and you say, yeah, but I said, meet me downtown. <laughs> They're like, yeah, but I was thinking cornfield. <laughs> you know, a uh, uh, small story. I remember one of the first times, and this was before. I mean, I was taking pictures, but but I've never done anything professionally. And, I, and actually, this is a guy we should get on the podcast if we can ever get our three-way calling. Yeah, we're, we're going to do a three-way at some point. Dude, we're going to take off when that happens. Uh, but anyway, um, a friend of mine, this guy, Ray Hand, who's an excellent photographer and a good friend of mine. And I remember this was uh, – we were doing a DSVC poster, and I was the designer on it. And even back then, I, I could have taken my own photo, but I really wanted to collaborate and work with somebody else. And Ray's an excellent photographer, and I thought, no, that's the guy who's going to shoot it, not me. So um, I remember we had a concept in mind. And then the speaker that month, DSVC, we, if you guys probably recall, we talked about clubs and you know social activities a few 
podcasts ago. And Dallas Society of Visual Communications, what this stands for. Anyway, when I was on the board, we would bring in speakers and we would take turns. And if it was your speaker, you would design the poster for this. So I was designing the poster, and it was uh, blanking out on his name, uh, the guy from WDDG in um, uh, well, I'm looking right at the poster. I just can't have my glasses on. I'm old. And I can't read. <laughs> James, uh, what is his name? I'm going to sound like an idiot. Uh, hang on. Let me squint. Old James. James Baker. Sorry. Boy, that's really embarrassing because he was a hell of a cool guy, too. And, and he was my idea to bring him in, so you think I know his name. But anyway, yeah. uh, WDDG is an interactive studio in New York, and one of their big clients at the time was Lego. And so we decided we wanted to do kind of a conceptual poster, and I had talked to Ray, and his kids at that time were kind of young, and they were really into Legos, and they were into the Bionicles. And so we thought, well, what it would be cool is if we had City Place, which is where all the meetings happen. It's this high-rise kind of near downtown. Right. And in the background, we'd have this Bionicle looking like he was going to go attack the building. And it sounds cheesy, but it worked out. <laughs> and Ray was going to do the whole thing. He was going to shoot it and cross-process develop it, and so it had this weird Martian quality to it. And I remember he wanted to scout the location, and I thought, we got to scout the. I mean, I've seen it a million times. He goes, "Well, I got to know if we can shoot down there." It turned out, I mean, I went down there and met him, and he talked me through the whole thing. It was this great learning experience for me because you know you go down there and you see, okay, we're down here. It's four in the afternoon. We know where the sun is going to go, but you can see it four in the afternoon. It was creating this glare off of some of the windows. He said that won't work for the shot. It'll be too distracting. Uh, but we do have a good view of it. We can, you know, we used a rock out of his yard, put the bionicle on it, and kind of did this you know, long lens. And so it made it look like it was closer than it was and bigger than it was. Yeah. It's kind of um, like a, a crusher head. Yeah, exactly. It, it, <laughs> perfect analogy, but it was really cool because it was, you know, we, we figured out from that scout. I mean, it only took a few minutes, but just at that time of day, we knew we did need to be there earlier. We knew we needed to bring reflectors and I was going to be his assistant on it. Um, mm-hmm. because the light was almost right, but there were some weird shadows that were being cast. Anyway, so it was a huge learning experience, but just taking that 30 minutes or probably an hour when all was said and done driving out there and um, you know, it, it made a better shot the next day. You oh, know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's two great points you made there. One, if you can ever assist anyone in any kind of way, in any manner, whether it's whether it's you know for free or if you're trying to get a steady job of any kind for low pay, if you're a college kid or uh, if you're a little bit older and you're wanting to be do it a little bit more serious, but if you can assist. Um, if, whether it's for a brief time or a long period of time, or there's so much you can learn there, yeah. um, like you just did from him in one day, just about scouting. Oh, I'm always up for assisting anyone. I'm not beyond that now. I mean, it's like yeah. just seeing how somebody else does it and thinks through, I think is awesome. I mean, I'm yeah, fascinated with Yeah, if you have the time that. to do it and you can do it, you should. Well, that's uh, the problem now is having the time. But um, Right, because you can learn so much from a professional. And then just the scouting thing is, is, is the other great point, that, you know, when you're talking about all this stuff is um, you can think of a location in your head you may have been there a million times but you may have not have been there at that time of day um you you may have not seen what you're trying to take a picture of from that particular angle you may have not looked at it that way so you know when you're talking about the the sun and the reflections and these kind of things that's all super important Mm -hmm. um so i always try to go out before i do a portrait shoot to the location unless it's going to be far away hour or two or something like that then i just try to get as much information off the weather.com and google maps and oh yeah that's a big one too i plan where the sun's going to be uh i have a i have an app on my iphone that tells me what time sunrise is and what time sunset is uh you know and then what the weather's going to be what 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 does the building or the person the direction we're shooting 
to does it, what you know direction does it face according to the sun that kind of thing so but if you can go to the location and stand in that spot and look in these different directions at that time of day you're going to be shooting that makes all the difference in the world yeah it's it's amazing well and that was another thing too we, we did and this was this was a while back when this shot happened and so it was before you know digital was very affordable and stuff so we were shooting large format we specifically wanted to cross process it now people were using photoshop at the time after scanning but i mean that was part of the deal is this was a free poster nobody was getting paid it was probably and so uh, we didn't want to create a lot of Photoshop time. So literally it was going to go to the lab to be scanned, come straight to me, and barring any small color adjustments, we were going to go right up with it, and, and that's what mm-hmm. happened. But, yeah, but all that planning, I, you know, and I think that's one thing that we've all gotten lazy about with the advent of digital um, is that you can fix it in post. And you've talked about this before. I mean, yeah, you can fix it in post, but you can spend the time now or spend more time later. I mean, there's, <laughs> it's not yeah, like I post didn't really, take time. You're, you're totally right. You, you, and everyone says this um, that has been a photographer for any amount of time or, or you just had to do post-processing and things is if you can get the shot in the shot do it there yeah. and don't ever listen to the client about oh well we'll fix you know you can fix that later in post or what can't you just do that later in photoshop or whatever that's so that's so bad and that's so the wrong way to do it do everything that you can get everything that you can in the shot and then use photoshop and lightroom and these things as something to tweak the photo yeah. and uh because if you're t- shooting a, a lot of photos or uh, if you're shooting hours worth of photos, you can I usually say, like, if I'm going to shoot a half day, four hours, I'm at least going to have four hours of post. Oh, sure. Um, it could be longer. And so the, the more that you leave to, well, I'll fix that in Photoshop, the the longer, you know, the more that's time that's going to be later on, which is going to not be fun after doing it for a while. We start trading. It's two hours on site and then 12 hours in post. Yeah, no, really. Yeah. If you really, yeah, if, if you agree to something like that, you know, to where you're shooting a lot of people or something and then you, you promise to retouch every single one of them all their faces and take out all the freckles and wrinkles and smooth all the skin and fix the hair and all these things if you promise all that um you know that you're going to fix all that in post or whatever then you got your work cut out for you at least charge for it and and work it into the original estimate it's your responsibility to tell the client to quit bringing these freaking ugly people (laughs) you know i mean what are we doing here this is you know my time is money now yeah but yeah, yeah, you're right though. I mean, you know, when when you and and it's I, well, we're we're veering towards the professionals in the audience too. But I mean, if yeah. you're working with a client, it really is your job to educate the client and explain to them why it's a better idea to get it right off the bat. You know, people want to save money, and that, that's usually why you start hearing this this flakback. Mm-hmm. And you know, usually they're trying to use less of your time, thinking it's in their interest financially. And what they don't understand, and what photographers who are starting out don't understand, that that yeah, that time will build up on the end because they're cutting corners at the beginning mm-hmm. and then you're losing money on the job and your client saved money or like you know for instance like you're talking about freckles and people and stuff you know right. if you're doing a fashion shoot you want to hire a makeup designer to come out and help you you know right. and there's a reason why you know yeah well even even take this out of the the professional realm altogether sure i mean any of these things that i say uh, if you if you tr- you know uh try to think of them in terms of okay well how do i apply this if i'm not a professional i'm just doing this for my right. own personal things well if a friend asks you to shoot you know take their picture if your family asks you to take a or, or someone's family asks you to take a christmas picture someone's going to ask you to take a picture of their baby somebody's going to ask you to shoot their wedding for free maybe uh senior portraits i don't know when it comes to all that kind of portrait stuff their cat their dog all these same things can apply you're just not going to get paid (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so have fun. No, I'm just kidding. No, but those things are going to happen in the beginning. And, 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 and I did all those things, and I still do those things sometimes for free. And so I'm just going to try to cut out, not because I'm lazy, but I want to make everything as efficient as possible. Mm-hmm. Because, but you, you know, know better than to cut a bunch of corners just to get the shoot shorter. Exactly. Get yeah. it all there. And then even with this last product shoot that I did, I wanted to try to get – it was shot on white seamless, and you want to try to get that as perfect in a shot as you can uh, to where you don't have a bunch of shadows on the paper and, and lines in the background and stuff that you have to take out later. And I really did get it down to a point where I just had to Photoshop out like uh, a little line where I could see the glass meeting the paper uh, that I had right. the product sitting on in the back, and that's all I had to Photoshop out, and then everything else went totally white, and that was really nice. I could have made that really difficult on myself to go through 100 photos and have to edit out shadows and lines and and things and yeah that that can really be a beating much more so than the photo shoot yeah and that ain't fun photoshop kids that's (laughs) no that's no yeah that can that's drawing and that can be tiresome that's altering reality and that's yeah that's something like you procrastinate about like well i'm just gonna go get another cup of coffee real quick yeah exactly (laughs) you know it's funny too i mean there was a there was a a um oh a thread on the Flickr site for for the show and you know, people were. Ta- it's up there now, and people are. Is this ongoing discussion? Is this Photoshop cheating? And I, I don't know if that's the right way of looking at it. And Photoshop's not cheating. Photoshop is a tool to get something done with. And if you have something in mind that requires a lot of post processing effects, and that's one thing. But I mean, we're talking about using Photoshop because you either didn't think to or were too lazy to get it right because it was something you could have done in camera. And that's the important part. I mean, I even think down to like, I mean, a lot of people don't look at these things, but like for me, even white balance, Mm -hmm. that's so much easier. If you bring the card, do the custom white balance and you get it right in the field, that's just one less thing you have to do later. And for whatever reason, maybe it's just my skills in Photoshop, but it's like, it's just so much, I, I get it. It always looks right when I do it that way. And I have a hard time getting it to look right when I'm having to tweak it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and even all these modern digital cameras uh, have all these uh, settings now, you know, for, for sunny, cloudy, uh, flash, uh, auto, whatever. Sure. And, and you can mess around with, with those different things. And like when you're shooting portraits, maybe uh, on a sunny day, you know, try, try it on cloudy and it'll give you a little bit redder tone, which sometimes looks better with uh, skin tones and things like that or whatever. But anyway, you can play around with these different white balances and things and get, get a lot of it right in the camera yeah. um, before you even. But it's so cool now. Nowadays, when you even if you just shoot auto, which I do a lot of times, if, it, if, it's, if the sure. setting is going to be changing or whatever, uh, it's so easy to go into Lightroom or Photoshop, and then you can still change your your, your settings there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, the same settings, and and quickly go to you know. But if you get it right in camera, that's one less one step that you're saving through. Well, and you know, particularly with, I mean, you're talking about something where you would alter it for effect, but particularly right. if you're doing something where you're shooting product where they want the color to be what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then then you would need to be very oh, precise you need to be about dead it. On. Yeah. yeah, and I would yeah. rather have it dead on right there when I'm in the field than or the studio rather than trying to do that later. Yeah, yeah if you're if you're moving around for effect, that's totally different. And people have done that with slide film in the old days. You know, you shoot tungsten outdoors, or you know, there's different effects you can get with things. And what's great about when you're shooting with strobes and in a studio, and I haven't worked in a studio nearly as much as I've worked on location. Right. I shoot like I've mentioned in the past. Um, I'm a big fan of Joe McNally, and I'm a big strobist fan, and I like working with small off-camera flashes, and I like uh, I like carrying uh, my equipment lightweight, and I work on location a lot. Like, Wade, can you come here to our offices? 
Wade, can you meet me at the park or, you know, meet me downtown or wherever? I do a lot of that. Um, rarely, unless it's like a product shoot or a very, uh, the light needs to be controlled in a studio in a very specific way. Uh, that's the only time that I'll, that I'll rent a studio. Um, but when you do that and you have strobes, what's, what's very cool is that you can, um, get you, you can light meter and you can get your white balance and everything's dead set. Right. Um, even before the client gets there a lot of times and you can tether to like your computer very easily now where you hook your, your camera USB cord to, to, to your laptop. And in, in Lightroom three, now you just go file tether camera and, and it comes up, it just pops up. And then, you know, every time you took a picture, there it is on your screen, really big, super easy. That's sweet. Yeah, it is sweet. And um, you can get all that stuff set, and when they walk in, you can have a shot, and it's all color balanced. And everything from there on, if it's taken the same way, is going to be, you know, is going to be, the light's going to be perfect, the color. Dead on, yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, super- speaking of locations, I mean, when we, the day we decided to do this podcast for the first time, Wade came over and we did the, the promo shots that are on the website, and uh-huh. you brought your rig over. And you do have a very cool, streamlined, easy to carry, just what you need. You know, right? We did that, that super fast. Oh, it was quick, yeah. But that, and that's the same setup that you take uh, when you like go do corporate headshots and you got to shoot ten CEOs or whatever, and they're all right. You have to exactly, yeah. Usually, I'm a one man uh, traveling show, right. and I don't ever really have to have assistance unless I'm. I, I've had to a couple of times where I was going to carry more stuff or I just needed more hands, you know, to do things faster. But usually. Uh, for the last two years, it's just been me on on most shoots, which is really cool because you're not having to pay for a bunch of other stuff. Right. And and your setup isn't isn't uh, time consuming. You're not lot, wasting a lot of time having to set up and break down. Um, right. When we did that shoot, that's about how long it usually takes me to set up for a client. Is I have my bag that has like two or three light stands in it. I have uh, two or three different flashes of various sizes, and then ways to modify the light that they're shot through, like umbrellas and. Uh, soft boxes and and grids and snoots and things like that so oh it was uh, great though i mean it's like you you had exactly what you i mean it wasn't too much stuff you know what i mean no not at all one trip i mean and i think that's what you know it's usually the mark of amateur central when when you oh you guys you see people especially in public places that come out like they're Yukon Cornelius or something with a backpack <laughs> full of lenses and you know yeah. it's like come on man I mean you really gonna shoot on all that you know I mean I I've, I'm guilty too I mean I've done that yeah well no it makes you look good up front but then you hope the pictures turn out you know they're, they're expecting <laughs> a lot from you then if you have all those lenses oh yeah so yeah you better you better produce some good pictures too well my but, deal early on too because I was getting into all the funky cameras like Holga's and some of the Lomography stuff and then I then I would buy my Nikon SLR and you know I was shooting film and everything and so I wanted the look and i want any look at any point in my back and i'm carrying all these cameras around and it's just what's cool about when you have a bunch of toy cameras is like you can just have a backpack and you can just kind of throw them all in there together no i wouldn't and stop it, there though yeah you can have like roll of flexes and polaroids like strapped all around you. oh yeah yeah and all in the lenses anything with an interchangeable lens you need every possible combination of lenses you'd you'd want i mean yeah, you got it, like it, little fanny packs on and a photo vest <laughs> Yeah, like a photo helmet of oh, some sort. Photo helmet. That's <laughs> awesome. Okay, now, all right. I have to. We have to stop and 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 for humor here. And I I do have to say, you know, when you go over to there's a used camera store in Dallas called Don's, and I don't mean to slam Don's at all. They're actually uh, it's a mom and pop shop, one of the few uh-huh. that still exists in the world. But they always have that rack of photo vests over there, and I'm like, yeah. that is the dorkiest thing. 
Yeah. I, I mean, and, the, the and there's a need for them because sometimes like if you're shooting um, an event or something and you need to be able to switch lenses in and out. I mean, I'm yeah. cramming in pockets and they're falling out. And, and it's like, can somebody please make a jacket with a bunch of pockets or something that doesn't make you look like a safari gone wrong? You know? Yeah. Yeah. If I was like shooting in the jungle or safari, <laughs> some kind of thing like that or whatever, or needed a ton of lenses and I couldn't go back to my bag or anything, I'm going to buy like a jacket or something that just has a ton of pockets on it or whatever, but not the vest. Not, and not that if you have the vest, that's cool. Right. I like to wear camo to a wedding. <laughs> now that we've slammed it, totally yeah. slammed it. But yeah, I, I may not ever go to the vest. But it is, uh, it, 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 you know, it could be utilized very well, the vest. It has a lot of pockets, but you could buy something else cool that has a lot of pockets. Yeah, I mean, those shows that you're talking about and these uh, privately owned little camera stores like that, you can usually find great deals on, on all kinds of equipment. Oh, uh, yeah. If you shoot film on all kinds of old expired film, it's like 25 cents a roll or something like that. Oh, that There's, and even even cooler like like stuff. If you need C-stands or things that are real expensive to buy new, yeah, umbrellas, C-stands, I mean, anything, just, just buy it up. Yeah, do it at the at like filters or another thing when I stock up on on camera shows. Yeah, because if you go to a professional camera store, that stuff is all going to be really expensive if you want the good stuff. Yeah, new, it costs a fortune. And then, like, you can get 10 filters for a buck or something at a camera show. Go for it, you know? Yeah, start with the old stuff and then see what's good and what breaks and what, what brands are better than others, whatever, and then kind of work your way up. That's what I've always done with everything my tripods, my lights, and everything. I've never really gone out and bought, like, the best thing right off the bat, right. not knowing anything about it or whatever. I always kind of start lowly. And then after tw- uh, three tripods, broke then i <laughs> went yeah. out and bought like a really good tripod i don't like these tripods <laughs> these are defective all these plastic tripods break it's like that scene in the jerk where steve martin's working at the gas station and there's the drive-by oh yeah and they're shooting the oil can these oil cans are defective <laughs> they just gotten in the phone book or something that's crazy movie. yeah it's like one of the best movies ever well a little anyway, off topic from, yeah, from location, location but not how we got all the way over there. Well, yeah, it's so the, we the photo vest that that, uh, that gave it. Anyway, but we can talk about one of the first things is sure. going back to the very beginning of this is is asking your client or whoever you're shooting for what kind of shoot they would like to do, mm-hmm. and then even maybe having options for them already. Um, you know, it, whether it's urban or rural, uh, and, and I'll tell my, my clients, I'll say, well, like, well, what kind of options do we have to shoot? And I'll say, um, you know, I'll, I'll get all the information from them I can about what they want. And I'll say, okay, we can do this in your building. We can, we can do this in, in the, you know, downstairs in the lobby. We can do this up in your office. Uh, th- I think this would look good in a park. I think this would look good downtown somewhere, you know, with all the buildings around mm-hmm. or in Deep Ellum, like where you live with kind of all the, the artsy uh, graffiti stuff well like for uh, instance like a case study you could talk the katie did stuff that you did right and there were there was there was several locations that you did for various shoots for them right because somewhere out like kind of out in a field i want to say or well we did a lot in deep ellum in different parts of in different locations in deep ellum uh to utilizing all those different backgrounds of walls and things and then we did some in studio as well mm. And, but yeah, but then I did a whole nother shoot with uh, my wife and some of her friends. That's what I'm thinking uh, of. Out, yeah. in a, out in a field, yeah, that was kind of like a, a wheat field. 
So, like, on any level, though, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is it's like you just got to determine what look you want. And if you're going to do portraits, where do you want to take them? Are they environmental portraits? Are they just, you know, classical studio portraits? Are they, you know, and if I guess if you've got a client involved, it could have some kind of product. So, like, Katie did is fashion. Right. Is it shirts or is it more than just, I mean. It's shirts and dresses and, okay. and, and things, yeah. Women's clothing, yeah. Right. So you Women's needed clothing. models and they needed to be in some kind of environment that showed that they were hip and cool or whatever. And Right. So I, Deep Ellen was really perfect for that. Yeah, it is. It's actually very perfect. Yeah, because yeah. it has that urban outfitters kind of cool backdrop yeah, to it. Yeah, kind of vibe going on. Yeah, and we brought a lot of props out there, and that's something that's always kind of cool to do if you can. A lot of photographers uh, collect cool props um, from, like, antique stores and things. Whenever they go uh, just looking around, you might find an old cool chair or an old cool chest or stool or couch or uh, anything, yeah. lamp, and uh old radios and these things can be really cheap you know like 25 dollars or something and uh but you when you the take them shop. out yeah we would like for the one shoot we went out in this wheat field and we had a chair an old rickety chair and we had an old uh 1950s radio or something and we had an old lamp and we put all this stuff out in the field and then they're all like in sundresses and stuff and it, and you know sitting around with all this this <laughs> this old equipment and it, it was just made for a cool vibe you know it was yeah. like What's a radio doing out in the wheat field? That but, was the, that, that was a personal project you did. The one we're talking yeah, about. That was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's just a personal project. That was something did that you, I just wanted to do and that they wanted to do, uh, just to take pictures with each other for fun. And I wanted to do it for my portfolio. Did you and take so, into like consideration like time of day you were out there and stuff like that? Yeah, or, out there okay. at sunset, and, and right, that's right. Like, that's most of the time. Unless I can, unless a client has said I have to shoot at three o'clock today. Or yeah. you know, middle of the day, two o'clock or something, when the sun's directly overhead and outside or whatever. Unless I'm forced to do it, um, I always tell them, you know, this would be best. Unless we're doing it indoors, if we're doing this outdoors, it's going to be best if we do this early in the morning or later in the evening. Uh, you know, a little after sunrise or a little before sunset or something like that. So right. when we shot, when we shot that with the models in the field and everything, we shot that around sunset and we utilized uh, the low sun and everything. And um, especially this time of year in the fall, yeah, you the, get the sun color. Is, the, yeah, the sun is really nice, and it's nice almost throughout the whole day because it's kind of uh, it, unlike summer where the sun goes straight up overhead right. and comes beating down on you, and then you know it's really drastic. This time of year, the sun kind of stays low and lower in the sky throughout the entire day, and and so you you have a you have a wider gamut of time that you can kind of shoot in. Yeah, in the middle of the summer, I mean, it's tough, like, in the middle of the day like that. Because, like, even if you get in the shade, there ends up being such a high contrast between shade and anything that's not in the shade in the photo that it's, it's just right. hard to work with, you know. Yeah, that's something that people really don't know is that, you know, um, especially if you're just learning photography, mm-hmm. is they always think sun is good. Yes. And sun can be very bad. Sun is only good if it's really low in the sky or if it's really diffused, uh, either through clouds or through you holding up some kind of huge diffuser, like a huge uh, bed sheet or a huge uh, piece of <laughs> huge piece of, of, of material that can diffuse, you know, white material that can diffuse the light or something, or you flag the sun or you know block the sun with something um, off of your client. But you're right; if you're shooting in the shade, you need to really. It's great to shoot in the shade because all shade is is diffused light. Sure. So if you get your client in shade, make sure that they're all the way in the shade and that there's not some shade and then some bright sun in the photo. Yeah, and it's hard. That effect, right, because you're going to have this too harsh of a contrast. And another mistake people really make is like shooting under a tree um, in dappled light, like where, where there's spots of, 
of bright sun and then and then shade. Oh yeah, and, yeah, you know, like coming through leaves like, and stuff. Right, so they're going to look like you know, spot the dog or something. They're going to have like <laughs> bright spot on their face and then shade over their mouth and then so on and so forth all over their body, and they look like you know they have some sort of disease or something. Sexy. If you're going to do that, get all the way in the shade, and and then you know you can brighten your photo later to make it look like it it's brighter. Um, but you're going to have diffused light, so yeah, yeah, that's a good call when you're outside for sure. But that is interesting. Like you were talking about, if you if you are required to do that, I mean, something you definitely need for no money at all is a bed sheet. That'll help a white one. You know, I've seen, well, the bed sheet thing. I got that. Um, I got that from Joe McNally. Um, there's that video that I mentioned not too long ago, that yes. training video of his that he does for Nikon. And in one, I mean, here we have a professional that could afford anything he wanted to. But he wanted to do this on purpose to show you. He set up like he got in the shade uh, with this bride that he's shooting. There was a lake in the background, and she's kind of under a tree in the shade. And um, it's it, it's um, I think it was a good time of the day because the the light was nice on the water. But um, since they were so much in the shade, he set up three um, flashes on on stands, kind of like I have mm-hmm. uh, three Nikon flashes. And he was going to shoot off camera, and he then he put up a bed sheet that was a taut between two poles and um, he shot the flashes through those onto this bride and it made for this beautiful large diffused light source that's so cool man and i mean uh, you know people like on movie sets and things pay a lot of money for these big rigs that have like the piping all the way around i don't know what the official name for them oh yeah is. the big diffusion sheets the, is what they yeah, are like you'll I mean, see them like when they're if, if there's a big photo shoot or if there's a yeah we're uh, talking like 12 feet by 12 feet when you need a right. big one but you yeah. can do that same thing with two poles that you bought at home depot and a bed sheet and um and no one's gonna care if the photos look great so um, if Joe McNally, who's like one of the top photographers in the world, can can use a bed sheet, you can. So yeah, I would I would agree with that. But yeah, you know, making do with with what you've got. I mean, sometimes there's no reason to spend a ton of money on stuff too. I mean, unless of course, you just yeah, we're promoting that all the time. I think I think one of the reasons when you would need to spend money on the real deal is if you were well, like you said, movie sets and video crews. They're doing that stuff day in and day out. They're doing it. So every, they need the good stuff. Yeah, yeah bed sheets just going to get ripped up pretty quick, and, and the poles <laughs> probably aren't going to last. So yeah, if you're if you're setting it up. Up and doing it daily, uh, then it really is worth it to invest in something that's a little more robust, uh, and it right. pays for itself anyway. But see, that's the deal is, is usually there's a reason like that that governs the more expensive equipment. I even think that extends to like even cameras and stuff like that. You can get great shots with very little gear. I mean, it's just how it is. Yeah, and it's also like working up to learning how to use something like. Uh, shooting through a bed sheet, which is a big diffused light source, right. and then getting so good at that or liking using that and saying, oh, I really like this. Okay, I do want to go out and purchase something you know, yeah, that sure. is going to be like that, but professional. You're going to use I it use often. Time. But you might, you, know, you might use something like that once and then go, oh, uh, that, that's not really my style or something I want to utilize a lot or whatever. So you don't want to make the mistake of going out and buying the big expensive thing and then figuring out that's not something you want to use right. a lot or whatever and you know, being the bill. So well, and even if you went out and bought what a twenty thousand dollar Hasselblad with a digital back to shoot digital medium format, it's still gonna make that. It's not gonna make that light in the middle of the day in the summer any more pleasing. I mean, it's no, still that's a that whole issue. that's a whole other issue. Yeah, is learning how to is learning how to shoot with it any time of the day. And speaking of, I just watched I watched these uh, Kelby training videos that I told oh, yeah, you about Scott before. Stuff. 
Yeah, it's it's K E L B Y KelbyTraining.com, and uh, Scott Kelby started it. But there, there's all kinds of professional right. photographers and instructors that are on there. And um, one of the last ones that I watched really dealt with what we're talking about. It was on location photography with a uh, Jeremy Cowart. Or is it Coward or Coart? I can't remember. Mm, C O W A R T. Anyway, he's a professional photographer that shoots a lot of um, uh, rock stars and and um, famous people and things like this, whatever. Mm-hmm. So he, it's one of the latest ones on there. And if you just want to get it for the month to try it out or whatever, it's only like twenty five dollars to subscribe to it for a month and watch as many videos as you want in a month. You know, That's which is cool. A lot. And yeah, this on location one, he he just walks through downtown LA with a small the small crew. It's him, one assistant helping with lighting, and a model. And um, I think there was a makeup person, whatever. But you know, you don't have to have that person, whatever. Right. But um, they, it, it, and he's shooting in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. and and he kind of walks in kind of some back alleys in in a in a part of. Um, uh, LA or Santa Monica or something and it's kind of showing you how to shoot um, in in kind of bad conditions because he's saying that he's always getting you know um, requests for like I need you to shoot Steve Martin in an hour and it needs to be here in, in a oh, hotel, yeah, yeah. hotel room uh, can you do that and make it look awesome you know, so he, so it's teaching you how to do this stuff because that's, that's really what's going to happen to you as a photographer, no matter what level you shoot on. Is that you're well, particularly always- the, like the higher the level you get, the more pressure you get. Like like celebrities, generally you you're dealing, and I've never done them personally, but uh, you know, Greg Booth shot him for years, and I remember he had a big story about George Burns when he was shooting him. And it's kind of one of those things where I mean, he's just got such this massive schedule that you literally have a five ten minute window to do the shot. Yeah, right. as long as you need to set up. But at at four thirty two, he's going to show up, and you have ten minutes, and he's because he's got to be somewhere else, and those are usually really hard, you know. Yeah, it's almost like the more famous the person, the less time you're and uh, you're going to have with them. Sure, and because the, it's a schedule more, thing, yeah. right? Yeah, he only has five minutes, so just uh, make him look make him look awesome. Yeah, you know, so you got all that pressure. Anyway, the the, the location shooting thing that we're really talking about here is is a great thing that if you can go on to KelbyTraining dot com and um, it just you can watch the very first part of the video for free and see if it's something that you dig right. and then if you if you do like it you can pay to watch the rest or whatever but that one's really cool because even shooting in the middle of the day in one case he uses his light which is on the end of a pole mm-hmm. uh to block the sun and on on the on the he's gonna he's shoot, he's shooting the model close up like a portrait in the face and but he doesn't want the harsh sunlight on her face so he raises his strobe in a softbox up and he blocks the sun with it he uses that as his flag hmm. and then he uses the strobe light as the lighting on her and so the background and everything behind her is sunlit and, and beautiful the lights coming from the same direction as the sun but it's not this harsh you know stuff right. on her face it's this nice pretty lighting so it's just that to me that was even like oh very cool i never i never thought about doing that that's you know that was something really, really oh yeah cool that's so, very cool lots of tips and tricks you know watching those videos yeah well you know we've kind of talked about the bed sheet thing or some kind of diffusion material and then you know obviously we're talking about flashes now i think another thing people overlook sometimes too is having a reflector I don't oh, know yeah. if you've had a lot of situations. Because a lot of times, like, you know, you got the light right, but you need a little more spot on somebody's face. Now, this is something that, that you know, is real tempting to think, well, okay, this is a Photoshop move, you know. 
I'm going to go deal yeah. with this in Lightroom. I'm going to create a spotlight. And oh, put, no, no. Yeah, It really is when you can get it and see it um, and have somebody hold a reflector up. And, you know, you can make reflectors, too, out of foil if you need to. I mean, that's oh, yeah. there are ways to do it, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, literally any of this that we're talking about, um, you can – there's there's do it yourself do it yourself stuff online that you can right. look up, uh, you know just like you said you can get a large piece of, of foil and wrap it around something and you have a reflector because that's a lot of times what these reflectors are is one side is like gold foil and one side silver foil and mm-hmm. another side's white but you can literally get huge pieces of white board or big pieces of foil or whatever anything that's reflective a big mirror even oh, yeah, that piece kind of, of hardcore yeah yeah and these all make great reflectors and sometimes you can just go out in natural lighting. And just have a reflector as your main light, especially if you put the sun to the back of the subject right. and then bounce the light towards them onto their face. That's your light. That's your, yeah. main, that's your key light source now on their, on their face. Or you can use it like you're kind of talking about as a fill light. If there's light coming towards one side of their face or something, you can kind of, you know, in the other side of their face is going to kind of be darker, a little harsh. You can use that as a fill light, the reflector to uh, kind of fill in the shadows. Well, and of course, this is another thing where time of day comes into play because, like, if there's something you need in the background and the sun's behind that, it could you're going to have trouble getting detail and stuff like that, too. So, like, if you are going to do that move, you, you need to make sure you're there at the right time of the day, either sunrise or sunset. But, yeah. um, you, you know, and I always tell people, too, like in the other podcast, it's like, and, and of course, I'm, I think you're more into electronic lighting maybe than I am just from what you know about it and how you use it. But, I because mean, I've my, had to, yeah. Yeah, but my favorite lighting, and I haven't had to, I mean, it's just like if I can use the sun, it's like through a window, anything. Natural yeah. lighting is just for me. It just always just comes out so nice, you know. Well, there's and there's always a way to use the sun. Yeah. Even if you're indoors, if you can get a north-facing window, mm-hmm. um, you know, that window light is some of the most beautiful light I've ever seen in almost any kind of photos. Yep. Um, portrait lighting or, or, or for, you know, product lighting or, or fine art, fruit on a table or anything. It's beautiful. And, and, and if uh, you're not sure why Wade said north-facing lighting, it's generally because, you know, if you have east or west face lighting, it's maybe either the sun's coming in, in directly too harsh, or it's on the other side of the building and it's not at all. And so, north facing windows are usually uh, it's going to be the most pleasing light. Um, yeah, and sometimes you won't even know it's a north facing window, but there will be like beautiful light in on someone's face or something. You'll right. be like, oh, that's awesome, and then you'll find out that's a north facing window. That's why, because just all this diffused light, but it's not a, the sun's not over there coming in that window, so it's it's not harsh. When you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think like we were saying, no matter what level you're on, if you kind of think through, these are little things like just you know, where's the sun? Where you. Know, that can like totally make the difference between an okay shot and a really great shot, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it just takes a couple minutes to kind of think about those things or throw them in your bag. I mean, I think it's much more important to have a bag with diffusion material and, and a reflector than it is to carry 10 lenses. I mean, you know, yeah, and we're talking about a lot about lighting really today, and I mean right. lighting and, and location shooting definitely go hand in hand because if you uh, if you go out to the most beautiful location in the world in the middle of the day. And it's harsh sunlight. There's not going to be, and you don't know what you're doing. I mean, as far as get, diffusing the sun in any kind of way or something, there's really not going to be a great way to to make that location look good. And then on vice versa, you can be in a bad location at a beautiful time of day, and you can get 
wonderful looking photos because the light's good mm -hmm. and i think that's the whole thing with photography is is it being about light and, and i think as a young photographer our, our whole life and careers or whatever um that's what we need to become masters of uh, is the light really even you, you focus, know, not focusing too. on the camera so much well like earlier you were saying a lot of people think okay i'm gonna head out in the middle of the day because it's a nice day out and you know right. the sun's in a bad location it's like some of my favorite days to shoot on are when it's pouring down rain you know? or just cloudy overcast or yeah. some of the best days ever well for me, black and white photos that I shoot, I really like rainy days. And the reason is, is yeah. because when it stops raining, you have reflection coming off streets, you have reflection coming off pavement. I mean, there's a oh, lot yeah. you can work with, particularly with black and white that, that has such a neat look to it like that, you know? Well, the sky before and after a storm oh, yeah. is... is like the most beautiful sky uh, you can usually ever get mm -hmm. for some reason. It's just the atmosphere is changing or whatever. Um, well, particularly if you live in a small grid city like we do, I mean, it washes yeah, a lot yeah. of that out, you know? Yeah, definitely. And then, right. If, if you're going for artistic stuff or moody stuff, um, with everything after, at, right after a storm, uh, when everything's wet, um, that makes for a, a ton of great situations because the, the buildings are all kind of glossy, the right. streets and sidewalks are all wet, everything is kind of dewy and glistening. Um, and reflective. And that know, definitely so comes under the heading of you're going to hurry up and wait because you're going to have to kind of be ready for it because you may have a window of maybe 20 minutes to get a shot. Yeah. And that, those are harder to deal with, particularly if you've got models and, and you know other people in the scene that you're dealing with. Um, if you're doing landscape and it's just you, that's that's a completely different ballgame. You can just well, landscape. I'm glad you said that because um, storms, right before a storm or after a storm or even during a storm, if you don't get your camera wet, but mm -hmm. especially like right before a storm, uh, some of the most beautiful landscapes that I've ever gotten because of the sky, the way the sky was. Mm -hmm. Um, was right before a storm um, when the clouds were all billowing and there's weird colors and all this weird stuff went on. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, sometimes before a storm, I'll drive out here to the lake and kind of sit on the pier, snapping away or whatever, and get some awesome, you know, um, get some awesome skies because once again, uh, it, when you're taking a landscape, if you just have a blase sky, right. uh, it, it's not nearly as good as if you have these magnificent clouds of some sort, which usually occur you know, before a storm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's totally cool. It's, yeah. uh, you know, we were kind of going to talk a little bit about studio, um, locations too. And, and not, not every time, like, you know, you might be doing product or you might be doing a portrait that you want to be able to control lighting and do inside. And I, I don't think I wanted to get into studio today in the depth of how a professional photographer right. studio would, you know, have props and, and their setup. But, you know, if, if, you know, I think this is interesting too for professionals, like, you know, you're starting out, you're a freelancer. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you don't have the space necessarily. You don't live in a gutted warehouse. Um, you know, there, there's some things almost you can, like like what can we do like almost home studio? Yeah, I'm talking about like a home studio where you just need what I what I've what I've always tried to do, and I know this is harder, and you may be able to talk to this one if, if you're married or you have somebody else that lives there with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're able to transform your entire apartment oh, as you like. And I do. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. I've recently redone my living room. This is my new thing. Is I've I've completely stripped out the side walls, so I and I put these shelves up so I can change the art. The photos that I put up in and out real easily without having to re-drill holes in the oh, wall. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, and so, but it also I can take them all out and I have a white wall that I can use as backdrop. But I, I try to dedicate some kind of space to just shooting, and maybe you have to share that space. Maybe it could be a dining table or something like that, mm -hmm. and you have some easy, quick backdrop material that you can put up to you know if you just need a solid white backdrop or a solid black backdrop to or, or some kind of color in the middle. But it, it helps to have some kind of space that you can at least easily transform into being able to. Do do 
some kind of product based stuff or, or a small studio shot, you know. Yeah. And you can do what's, this very easily for not a lot of money, but studio versus outside is the indoors is very controlled. And so uh, anytime you want to shoot something that's controlled, it's more controlled than, than outside, which, you know, the environment or the, the weather is always changing. The sun is always, you know, different at a different time of day. Inside, you have a roof over your head. You have four walls around you. You have whatever kind of lighting right. subject you, know, you want to use. Um, and and, and it's, it's going to stay however you put it, and it's not going to change for as many hours as you want to keep it there. Hey, Wade, um, uh-huh. I hate to say this. Our Skype is making you sound like an AM radio again. Okay. Got, I'm going to hang up and call you right back. Okay. All right. You got to love the technical fun that is Skype. Um, we'll call Wade back here. and Here he comes. In the middle. Yeah, there you are. You're back. Dude, that's much better. Okay. Yeah, we're good. Happens. We don't understand Skype. We, we need to get something else going I, skype is just <laughs> oh god you, sh- you should like like when i'm in post on this stuff the garbage mm-hmm. that i've got to get out of the skype oh, connection gosh. it's ugh. i mean it's easy to I know. do we, but we really should try something else there's the facetime for the mac now maybe we should try that soon yeah we'll do that next time see how that rolls but anyway but we're talking about studio um you know in in house so uh, you know i think some of the I've taken some really good shots with very inexpensive equipment too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think one of my when I did we've talked about like kind of that summer that I hold up and did a bunch of still lifes and botanicals and stuff like that. And most of those, when I first started doing that, you know, I went and rented some some expensive lights. They didn't cost a lot of money because I would rent them for the weekend and then I would experiment around. But what ended up being my favorite lights, believe it or not, and I was telling somebody the other day that wanted some advice on some cheap lights they could get, is I went to the hardware store and I bought some of those metal work lamps. And oh, you know, yeah. just take a regular light bulb and hook those up. And okay, now here's the trick: is if you're going to do that, they are cheap, cheap, cheap lights, and you need to make sure that uh, I mean, white balance becomes an issue real quick if you're shooting color. And uh, so for me, it was like what you want to do is make sure they're the only lights you're using. So if you need more light, you need to get more of those and make sure they have the same kind of bulb in them. That's the only thing. And if you're mixing those with window light and stuff, you're going to get weird split white balance problems but, right but if you're using those say in a in a room that's where the light's kind of isolated and you're not having a lot of window light you i've seen where you can like rubber band some material around the front to even diffuse the light oh yeah i do it all the time in fact i just use some diffusion umbrellas that cost me probably 20 dollars a pop just put the umbrella umbrella in front of that light yeah bottom at dawns now the thing you need to watch out for though is is if you're using, it depends on the wattage bulb. But if you're using high watt bulbs, you need to be real careful about heat. Yeah, and you don't want to rubber. Fire. Yeah, don't rubber band something over the top if it needs to breathe. If it starts getting hot, you, I mean, yeah, please do not burn your house down and blame us on this podcast. Um, yeah, well, de- no, definitely look that up because there are uh, things that you can use to to clamp the material on with, and then there are certain materials that can take a lot of heat. Yeah. Um, so you can you know find out what those are and, and use those, but that that's a really cheap, great source of light. Yeah, and these are like, these are what you'd call continuous lights, so they don't flash. These are just they're on the whole time. You know, right? Uh, flash, you 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 can get into flash 
inexpensively, but not ten dollars a lamp inexpensively is what I'm talking about right now. That's kind What's of great with continuous topic. lighting, especially in the beginning, before you even started. You know, I, I would even say to start playing with that before you start getting into strobes and flashes and things, because you can really start to understand how light falls on things because you you can Absolutely. see it. It's continuous. It's on all the time, and you can see how the light falls on a subject, whether it be a face or a, a fruit or a ball or or what um, you know product or whatever, and you can move that light all around the subject to the back of it to the front of it to the sides of it different angles and you can see how the shadows fall and you can see if you put diffusion material in front of it how it falls and so then that's embedded in your in your brain then when you start using strobes and flashes and things which you know go off and on in a millisecond and you never really get to see it until you're looking at it in your computer on your computer monitor on the back of your camera but you already have it visualized in your head when you put that light at a 45 degree angle you know uh above the subject or whatever you know what that what it's going to look like uh when it hits that subject already right and uh, so that's a huge great thing to learn and something i would definitely you know if you're starting out with lighting uh, yeah start using something that's cheap and, and continuous lighting like that to learn from Oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, the other reason I prefer to work with it, if you, if you were doing some kind of studio thing, either a portrait or a product thing, where you want to use um, a real shallow depth of field and be able to get some of it blurred out, right. when you're using flashes, it's a lot more light that's going to come down. And then technically, a lot of times, you'll probably be decreasing your aperture size, so you're not going to get that real shallow depth of field. So sometimes it's just easier if that's the look you want to shoot that way. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, I do a lot of video production as well, and that's you know, obviously beyond the scope of this podcast, but that's probably what influences these kinds of lighting decisions on my behalf. Like, cause I, I shoot that way, uh, to shoot video. You don't, use then you can have light for both, right? Yeah. You can use it for your video and you can use it for your still photography. So yeah. And well, and I'm just saying for me, I think it's just, that comes more naturally to me to, to go right. that route than to do flash. Um, and so. there are some great lights out there that you can even buy that are semi-professional or professional that are continuous lights um, that stay on. They stay really cool. Uh, I, I've seen these on, on several videos and, and online uh, you know, that, that you can buy for maybe yeah. just $100. That the, uh, it, it, it's kind of put up like a softbox, but the light isn't going to get really hot. Yeah, there, and, well, there's, there's kind of two ways you can go with that, and, and this, this is come from video. But um, LED lights generally are supposedly a little cooler, and I have uh-huh. not had as much experience with that but um, another lamp that's really nice that they've designed them for video but a lot of photography studios use them for stills too there's a company called kino flow k-i-n-o-f-l-o okay and uh, kino flow make um well the the lamps end up looking they're they're, I, they're some of my favorite lights to work with but they look like two by four fluorescent lights and you can get you know different configurations of these they're not real cheap they're they're starting to get into serious money um and then what you do is they come with the what they call ballast which is basically this continuous power supply and that's really what you're paying for what you can do i wouldn't do it for a client that you're actually charging money because it looks really ghetto but if in your home you can buy those kino bulbs for a reasonable price Uh and then just go to walmart and get some of those um kind of trough looking work light things that'll hold you know a fluorescent two by four bulb and that'll work right Um, you want to diffuse them a little bit still but uh they don't get hot at all which is what's really cool about them they get a little bit warm and that's it uh but what you're paying for with the kino and you really do need it if you are doing video but um you know fluorescent lights have a flicker and they flicker 
faster than your eye can put it together so they look like mm-hmm. a continuous lamp and so um when they have a dedicated power box which is what you pay for with the kino system it regulates that flicker to be consistent so you don't ever notice it on on video but uh, and like i said it, it looks totally ghetto if you have a client coming over but if you're just shooting for yourself or whatever and just want a a, a cheap way to get in some really nice lights um you can get those Kino bulbs and, and put them into the Walmart. Yeah, you know. if you can afford that, that's a cool way to go. Even as a professional, that's something yeah. I would like to have around for certain things. Like when I'm shooting product, yeah. it would be it would be especially very small product. Um, I would love to have just a continuous light source that I could kind of put on it and keep on it and it not get hot or anything like that. Yeah, and, and if uh, you're gonna, t- well, one thing I can tell you too, if you're gonna shoot continuous lights, another thing that's really nice is if you can if you can u- use Kinos or something where you can get the heat down um what's really cool is you can get some clothespins and then like companies like bnh they sell sheets of paper that for diffusion for uh-huh, color right. gels for all kinds of things and it, those are so much fun to work with and uh you could even use those on maybe the the cheap line like that you're buying from home depot right some of the diffusion yeah. materials you can't you just watch out for the heat that's all watch out for the heat yeah. <laughs> yeah check it every once in a while see how hot it's getting but another great thing with those is you know if you just turn your light a- away from what you're shooting right. and bounce it off anything that's reflective uh, bounce it off a white wall or a That'll white diffuse, reflector yeah. or a big white foam core or, or, or silver foil or anything we talked about before um, then that's that's a diffused light source anything yes. it, it, as long as it's big um, it's going to come back onto the subject soft as soft light and so uh, you can either shoot through d- a diffused source or you can bounce it off something large and yeah. back towards the subject and you have a diffused light just aim it towards the wall and the wall reflects it onto the subject and yeah if you have a white wall which most homes or you know apartments or whatever do you you've and a light there yeah, you go you're set you're set yeah and then the other thing is natural light like window light oh absolutely yeah um, you know, like your your place is great. You have these nice big windows, and I don't know what I don't know what direction they face. But uh, south. Uh, they face south. Okay, so which that's, is not. Yeah, it could be east or west. It's not that. I mean, it's not north, right. but it's you know, it's still very nice. So a lot of times of the, of the day, you're going to get some really nice light through there. But even if, if the light was harsh coming through there, if you just got a, a real thin, sheer white curtain. And, and hung it, you know, uh, over the window, you're going to have beautiful soft light coming in that window that would be great for portraits or, or anything else. Yeah, you know, um, Greg Booth and Associates, which is a photography studio here in Dallas, they used to lease a unit in my building. And this was years ago. But uh, And just solely to do photo shoots and to use natural light is what it was for. And they, they sure. ended up getting rid of it because clients didn't want to pay extra for natural light. That was a tough sell. But, yeah. but <laughs> so they I were kind of bummed. they pay you to use the sun? Well, they were very bummed because it was a very it was a great place to shoot you know brick walls well, no, concrete floors. Studios in new york and everywhere else that's exactly why they they buy a specific studio space is because the the the, the windows and the right. lighting in that room the windows probably face north or south or something like that and and the lighting most of the time is, is beautiful in that room and so they can use it all day long oh, yeah. to, to shoot what they need to shoot and, um, I mean, I'd love to be able to gut all the furniture out of my place and, and just use it. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I would. You just have just, like a cot for a bed and then everything else. Yeah, is, fold it up and put it well, away. You really do. I mean, you utilize a lot of your apartment because it, it's a studio. Yeah, I can. Um, yeah, and I've moved have, it like, since you've you last been over here. room, and then um, you have like your whole computer office, and then you have like your whole photography section now and stuff set up for video, and then you set up a white wall somewhere for that you – we're shooting against the air. Yeah, mind you, this is easy to do when you don't have anybody living here with you. 
<laughs> I know, and I can't wait until one day. I don't. I, I, one I day officially... when Becca grows up, moves out. Well, one day when I can have an office and a studio, I would really yeah, love to have a studio because um, even if it's just a, a small room in my house, um, because right now, whenever I need a studio, I rent one from a well, friend. And I was about to say that that's, that is an option. Um, I, I could tell you, too, because at one point I was going to do a photography shoot and I needed a studio and I wanted to do it basically in my apartment, but not. I need furniture out of here. And yeah. the shoot never went through, but I did call the office. And a lot of loft places will lease you out a room on a day rate, uh, an empty apartment that's not being yeah. used. And you Why can not? tell them, look, I need something that faces north, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, the deal is, and here's the catch, is most places require you to have location insurance. And usually they require what is a million of one million or two million dollars of insurance, something like that, which sounds like a lot. But the policy doesn't cost you that much. No, I have that. I'm an architectural photographer, so I have to have that because I could fall off a building or I could uh, break something of theirs or whatever. So I I think it's illegal for them to let you on site sometimes if you don't have that. Right. I have to usually like show them my proof of insurance or whatever. Uh, Sometimes they ask for it. Sometimes they don't. So what do you do? Like lay down a million dollars and say, no, it's like car insurance. You pay. (laughs) You pay like you kind of would pay for car insurance every month, and it covers all your camera gear, and it covers you know any kind of mishap that might happen or whatever. But it's just photographer insurance, and I got mine through some kind of fireman's fund or something in California that was uh, told to me to be a good one. That they work with a lot of photographers and videographers and stuff like that, so that's why I went through. Um, But I'm sure that you could go through a lot of you know different places no matter where you live. Oh, I remember. Yeah. I mean, it's in fact, if, well, two things, if, if you're serious about being a professional, you definitely should have it. And the other thing, even if you're an amateur and you just want to be able to do some locations, if you think you can afford it, go for it. It really isn't that bad. Um, if you're using it a lot, cause I remember years ago, I mean, this was in the mid nineties. Uh, we were looking at doing some location. This was audio recording back when I worked at the CD-ROM company, uh, and there was some video involved. But anyway, we were going to shoot on location over at Southern Methodist University over at SMU. And, uh, yeah, and they required, it was, I think, $2 million of location insurance to do. And, of course, the first time I heard that about how to count, I thought, well, who can afford that? You know, and then you Yeah, it's like oh, $200 a month. <laughs> that's what you're insured, too. Yes, okay. But, you know, if, you, if, even if you're an amateur or a hobbyist and you just have a lot of equipment, um, if you don't have that kind of insurance, what, what this insurance does is cover all your equipment as well. Like if yeah. all the equipment was to get stolen out of my car, or something, or or, or or broken, or whatever, it would cover it. But even if if you're not doing that, if you just you should get insurance that covers your equipment. Um, it's just smart if, to do, whether it's taken from your house or apartment or your car, or if you're shooting on location, or whatever. Because these things can happen so easy. I was on a photo shoot not too long ago, and I set my stuff down. I, it was a stressful photo shoot, and we were having to shoot a lot in just a few hours. And I did have a little crew with me and everything. Oh yeah, I think and, you talked and, about this. Yeah, yeah, and I set my stuff down for just a minute, and I. When I went to the next place, um, I had left it at the last place, and I freaked out. And luckily, we went back and got it, and and it you know was all there and everything. But if it wouldn't have been, um, my insurance would have you know bought my new equipment. But if I wouldn't wouldn't have had that insurance, well sure. then it's time to go shopping all over again. Well, you know what's weird is like every now and then you'll see some story on the internet. I remember Scott Bourne um, republished one recently where some photographer who claimed to be a professional had left like what $20,000 in Canon cameras and lenses in their car and it was stolen. They were looking for the perpetrator. And, you know, it's like, first of all, if you were a professional and were not insured and left something in your car, I mean, come on. I mean, I feel for the guy, but I don't have that much sympathy because that was just dumb. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just stupid. But even if you're just a hobbyist and you have 20 – I mean, there's a lot of hobbyists insurance. out there that have way more gear than I have. Now, you and, have to have a slightly different insurance policy if you're not making your living at it. So make sure because the insurance company will try to get you on that technicality. Right. I've had so, it happen before. Yeah, so you want to ask the right questions. Well, what if this is in – what if my stuff's in storage? What if my stuff's well, in my and, car? And what if I'm on be upfront. If you're not a professional, just say I'm an amateur but I have a lot of equipment. Don't try to stroke your ego because as soon as they find out you're not a professional and you need the insurance, you're not eligible for it so it's real important to be upfront and then if you do become a professional then you need to make sure that you update accordingly the main thing is you want to cover the costs of of all your equipment and you can get insurance for that you know like you can get you know homeowner's insurance or whatever you can you can cover your equipment and then that way if it's if it's gone or broken or whatever you can replace it you know it's funny i uh, we were talking about keith wood earlier uh, my friend who lives in portland the photographer mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, that's all he does is travel and work for more or less oil companies and major corporations doing public outreach stuff and things like that and yeah brilliant photographer but anyway uh he was telling me a story once that he was down in central america somewhere and it was kind of known as a theft tactic and basically what people would do is there were thieves that usually older people like in their 60s, 70s that would be getting out of a cab, acted like they needed help. He'd bend over to help them, and all of a sudden somebody would lay off a stink bomb, which distracts you and all, before you know it. You're in, and he had it happen to him. He said, I'd even read about it, and they did it to me, and it stunk. It was terrible. Then all my gear's gone. And he, got the, he got the stink bomb distraction? He did. The old Dude. stink bomb distraction. And, but anyway, They come up with some high-tech stuff over there, but then they're running down an alley with all your camera gear. That's exactly what it is. They stole his that camera bag, stink. and he said, fortunately, he said he felt so stupid that he fell for it because he i mean it was public knowledge that this is what was going on but he said that uh you know when he came it was a check waiting on his doorstep when he got home so you know insurance company he had the right insurance for it and he was definitely covered but yeah but like you know professional or not just make sure that you're covering your equipment and i don't want to read that one of our listeners has been in the paper and they left fifty thousand dollars of gear in their car and no, yeah, it's something you don't think about at first, but even if you just have even $3,000 worth of gear or just a few thousand dollars or whatever, I mean, if it's if it, if it's something that can uh, be taken away from you and would be very hard for you to buy again, yeah. then uh, insurance is a good idea. And don't leave it, it in the car, man. And don't leave it in the car. Jeez. Well, and I, you know. Well, now, didn't you leave something in the car? No. <laughs> I, you know, I've never lost camera gear. Um, oh, that's good. Back when I was in college in my music days, I had guitars stolen before because I'd be too tired after a gig to bring them in. Any, these days, I drive a Jeep, which basically you just unzip. You know, it's easy to break into. So you don't leave anything in that car ever. Um, so I'm very, I mean, it's just natural to me. You just don't leave things in the car. And I guess other people don't think about it when you're a photographer or a musician or anything like this, and people know you as that people know that you have a lot of stuff in your house. Um, yeah, uh, you you know, because if you're a musician or or a photographer, you're going to have all this equipment or whatever. And so if that just gets around to one wrong person that thinks, well, I can, I could probably easily get in there and get that or whatever. Well then, you know, that could be bad. So, um, yeah. yeah, really. I'd never push in. I've never sold insurance until today, but um, <laughs> that's kind of funny. <laughs> never did I think I'd be selling insurance. Well, it, yeah. I mean, two things: make sure you're insured, and and more importantly, just be smart about things. And you probably won't ever have a problem. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a wise idea. Again, that guy walking around with you know you know who they are the the dude with the Canon one Mark IV DS you know whatever that costs fourteen thousand dollars and the entire backpack hiking style of lenses 
I mean, you know, you're out in public like that. It doesn't take long for somebody to just keep an eye on you until you're ready to eat and you just go throw it in the trunk, you know. We've gotten so far off topic. This again. is so rat hole. <laughs> chop the whole end of this podcast off. Well, maybe we ought to get to the picks of the week. We've, we've, we're over our hour anyway. Yeah, so definitely, definitely. Do you, do you have a okay. pick this week? Yeah. Um, I just bought a book last week um, that I have really been enjoying, and it goes right along with this topic. It always mm-hmm. seems to do that. Uh which is in the book is minimalist lighting. Dude, and you're like breaking up on the Skype. Okay, you want to? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. your fault. <laughs> hang on, let me hang up. I'll call you right back. Okay. Once more, kids, don't use Skype at home. Is he not there? Okay, I'm here. Oh yeah, yeah that's better. Oh All yeah. Right. Oh, my voice is so much more radio now. <laughs> Okay, okay my got? pick of the week is a book called uh, Minimalist Lighting, and it's professional techniques for studio photography. So it's right in line with everything we've been talking about. Cool. But what's great about this book is that they're taking basic light sources like we've been talking about, um, either inexpensive ones or like off cam- one off-camera off flash and shooting it through an umbrella so it's in its own way using reflectors, using natural light, but using pretty much one single light source and maybe a bounce fill or something like that. Very minimalist lighting. That's the name of the book. Cool. To come up with professional-looking studio stuff. Um, So, yeah, they do everything in here from, from, in this book, from food to models to to wine, uh, musical instruments, uh, you know, lots of different, they they show you a lot of different things and how to light it in different ways. And so it's very cool. The author is uh, Kirk Tuck, who's a professional photographer. And it's, um, so anyway, that's that's my pick of the week. It's a cool book to check out that's right in line with kind of what we've been talking about. Dude, that is, uh, that's seriously cool. Dead on. Straight up. Straight right. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> Gone. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I have um, – well, my pick of the week is, is – uh, well. Obscure. <laughs> well, I'm, no. I'm just going to go out on a – I've got two things in mind, and you know what hell, I'll do them both. Okay, the first one, um, if, if you watched – if anybody listening has watched the uh, Art of Photography podcast this week, I, I, I talked a little bit about printing and specifically inkjet printing. And uh, there's a company um, called Hanamula that make uh, inkjet paper that comes in a variety of uh, awesomeness. And it's by far my, my favorite. And basically, just in a nutshell, I mean, go watch the podcast if you're interested. But, um, you know, I was talking about, you know, with inkjet printers, you know, when you're shopping around, it's like camera gear and everything else. They want you to buy a bigger, better printer with more colors of ink. And, it's just, and I think what makes a bigger difference, I have a very cheap inkjet printer. And what really makes it sing, I mean, to where you wouldn't tell the difference between that and a much better printer, is when you use paper that's specifically designed to be photo paper. Mm-hmm. And this Hanamula stuff, um, well, there's, there's, sorry. I oh, that's just something. Nah, uh, excuse me. Huh? <laughs> no, but there's. <laughs> this huh? is when Ted started to lose his mind. Oh, God, it's been a long day. No, but uh, <laughs> there, there's two papers that I essentially use when I do inkjet printing. I use Ilford. I use some one of their pearl finishes. Those are really nice. Uh, and then when I want to upgrade and use something that has no finish at all, that really kind of has this earthy, cool, heavyweight kind of cover book looking thing, then I'll use the Hanamula. And so it's not the most cheap paper in the world, but I guess my pick of the week would be, and I'm going to have to order one. Because uh, I've recommended it to a few people, but for like twenty bucks on B and H or Freestyle or any of those, you can order a sampler pack, 
and it comes with just some various stuff. And they've got some new papers that I haven't used. They've got a bamboo paper and a sugarcane paper, which sound really interesting. Hello. Yeah. If you really want to show the bling on the paper. Yeah, that's on sugarcane paper, baby. That's right, baby. I don't mess with <laughs> Okay, but I'll give you my other pick of the week. And it's it's simple and it's stupid. And I'll put a link in the show notes. So go to thepublicbroadcast.com and you can find it there. But uh, Merlin Mann, who is a tech pundit slash productivity guru guy a couple years ago on his site 43 folders there was a um an article <clears throat> that he wrote okay this is pre-iphone okay so this was back when you know your choices for smartphones were like the crappy treo and there was stagecoach days oh uh, yeah just really beating well pda days <laughs> you know when you used to have the palm with the stylus and you take your notes and and uh, anyway so he he invented this thing that he called the hipster pda which is essentially some bulldog clips some note cards and a space pen and uh, that's where you get fancies with the, with the space. <laughs> but anyway, uh, today I was really getting frustrated because a lot of times, and I think this relates to what we're talking about as far as location, making notes on your photos. Um, I'm doing a lot of darkroom right now and making notes on print times and things like that. The iPhone is becoming particularly frustrating to launch an app, use the keyboard, goof around, wait for it to sync on the Internet because I'm way too fancy with that. And I, I thought, you know what? I'm going back to Merlin's idea of the hipster PDA. And... I kind of came up with a variation today. I'm sure I'm not the first to do this. I was looking around the office, and I couldn't find any note cards, but I found a bunch of note cards that were torn in half into the same size. And so I made the Hipster PDA Nano, and it uh, <laughs> fits in your pocket. You carry a pen, and you write the stuff down, and you put it in the iPhone later if you so So your desire. pick of the week is a Post-it note? Yeah, no, it's a stack of it. It's the Hipster PDA. <laughs> It's a sta- There's no post-it note, dude. It's a stack of index cards. And gotcha. if you get really serious about this, I will post a link to Merlin's original article from six years ago. But, uh, you know, you, you should go for some different color note cards for different things. You could do yeah. uh, some graph paper. Anyway, this is for it's keeping back, ideas. Back to, back, back to basics. Well, and the cool thing about using the hipster PDA as opposed to, like, a Moleskine notebook or something is you just pull the cards out at the end of the day that you need to save, and you either toss them or save them, and then you replenish. So you never have to go buy a new one. You know. Cool. So those are my two picks of the week. Dude, you did it. Yeah, and the hipster PDA Nano. I tweeted it earlier. Today. <laughs> I saw your photo. See the tweet? That's it. Yeah, I saw the tweet with with your little picture of it. That was cool. That's the hipster PDA. Seriously, it's like that. That's one thing. I know we're off subject again, but that's one thing that frustrates me is the iPod is great or the iPhone is great for so many things. I mean, even if you have an Android, whatever phone you have, smartphones are awesome. I'm not going <laughs> to debate that, but they still are not as far as input. You have a keyboard, and sometimes you can do some finger paint drawing weirdness, but they're just not where you want to be with paper. If you need to draw something or diagram something or do something quickly, I think it's more of a pain in the tush than it's worth sometimes. Oh, yeah, I still do a ton of things digitally and then a ton of things on, on you know paper and and pen. Uh, I do a lot of my bookkeeping kind of right. old-style way and everything because I just find it to be faster and more it's, – it's just easier for me almost than having to, to – you know, input it all into my phone or on the computer or anything. It's yeah. just, it's, you know, pull out a pad of paper and a pen and go to work. You know, yeah. I'm having a complete identity crisis here because it really, I mean, I'm a total computer nerd. I'm a total Mac nerd. I mean, I'm into all the software. I sync through Dropbox. I, I mean, I, I rock and roll it, dude. Right. And then every time I do a podcast, I'm always preaching analog technology. People think I'm a film Nazi and now a hipster <laughs> PDA, paper Nazi. And No, but it's good, it's good to know both and, and, yeah. and have a balance in your life. And you know what else you can do with it? What? I can sit here and clip the bulldog clip shut. And it's kind of like it, your pen. You, could, you should have done that the whole show. I should have. Like my pen. See, I can control myself. 
<laughs> Sorry, dude. We're gonna have to do some major editing on this show. Oh my god! To, to narrow yes. it down from two hours to one. Anyway, well, I guess that's all for today. Am Good I finally talk. saying that? Yes. Yeah. It's time to go watch the Hopefully Cowboys lose. Something from us. We were all over the place, but if they could just kind of pick and choose. Yeah. From oh, hey, I'll mention something else before we go, and that'll be yeah. it. Um, the one last thing I'll mention is uh, my, the conference I'm going to be speaking at now. Oh. I guess it's official. Uh, I have been invited to speak at Le Web in Paris, France, December 8th and 9th. I'm actually speaking on the 9th, but I'll be there on both days. So if you're in Europe, if you're, if you're a French listener... Come by and check it out. We. We. Or maybe what we should do is, um, like we did with the England meetup, we could do a Paris meetup. Oh, you should. That'd be sweet. That'd be very, uh, that that makes me sound way cooler than I actually am. You're traveling the world one meetup at a time. (laughs) Something. Yeah, it's funny. Every trip I go on, I'm like, man, and you know what it is, is that you get molested by airport security and I just get tired of traveling and it's like i'm not doing any more of these for long and then i get home two weeks later somebody calls and it's like okay ted i thought we weren't going to talk about you getting molested by airport security airport, no we won't we won't go into it but, oh man <laughs> i wish we could that's, travel by that's train. a whole nother show and it's much heavier can i take a boat to europe i mean you know <laughs> just easier that would be fun anyway so december 8th and 9th the web be there oh man that's, a, that's exciting yeah it's gonna be fun i'm looking forward to it uh, there's a host of other people that are speaking, including Leo Laporte and Veronica Belmont. You should grow a fancy mustache. I, I really, you know, I'm not in the league of most of these speakers. I really do feel very privileged to be invited. I'm, you do need the beret, a fancy mustache, and a pipe, like I was talking about earlier. In a, yeah, and a baguette. <laughs> and a baguette. I'm sure I'll fit right in. The French love that. Learn like four words and just keep using those when people ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> are they beatnik is that the deal <laughs> no yeah. it'll be a fun trip and i'm really looking forward to it so awesome anyway once again thank you for listening oh wait sorry i'm doing it wrong how do we usually do this <laughs> <laughs> bye <laughs> this is the photography show actually you know what somebody called me out because one time i said this is the art of photography thank you for watching or uh, something. yeah totally wrong see you have too many shows going oh, god i can't juggle everything do it right all right This has been The Photography Show, and thank you for listening. (laughs) 